there, why is nobody sitting in those first three rows? There's a nice bit, well, there's actually two nice big heaters up there. I'm so glad you've come out today as uh, we come and celebrate Christ together as uh, the community of Jesus Christ, the church. And uh, on this cold Arctic blast, did anybody watch the football on Sunday night? Uh, not Sunday night, Friday night. We haven't got to Sunday night yet, have we? Never did. I think they played first time AFL football in snow. I don't, you, you can see that sort of coming down during the game there. So, I, I played a bit of football many years ago, and I never played in snow, and I probably never do want to play in snow either. It'd be mighty, mighty cold. So, um, anyway, I'm glad you've come as we uh, gather together today to celebrate Christ. Lauren asked me last week at the end of the service, because uh, she was leading this week, and we do like to sort of tie our uh, music and singing in together um, with uh, what's happening. And she said, what am I speaking on next week? And I said, I think I'm speaking on the same passages of this week. Doesn't happen often. Actually, I've never done this before, but actually I believe um, that's where God, by the Holy Spirit, wants us to land today uh, as we think about um, the idea of uh, who am I? And uh, I've been doing this series, but I wanted to just sort of go back over that passage again and look at it from another perspective. So if you've got your Bibles there again, you should know exactly where we are going to. Acts chapter 2 and uh, verse 41 to 47. As we think about um, the community that Jesus Christ is uh, building together. So let me uh, read that out again for you. Verse 41, so those who received his word were baptised and there were added that day about 3,000 souls and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things <coughs> pardon me, in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing all the, the, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in the homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were, who, those who were being saved. Let me just start this up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, just thank you again that we can come and gather together today. Lord, we thank you for this living eternal word. We thank you that Jesus, uh, you are the living word and that today we get to open up this, uh, this book that is more than just ink on pages, that Lord, it truly is a living, uh, breathing word that uh, reveals to us the most glorious being in the universe uh, and that is God. So we pray now, Lord, please, uh, let your spirit open up our hearts as we just go back over this passage again and look at some other thoughts in here about the community of Jesus Christ that you have uh, brought together, this glorious community. I pray, Lord, just open up our hearts now to see uh, what it is this community is and what it is to be committed to this community and what it is to come along to this community and prepare our hearts to partake in the believers of Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask for your help now for myself. Uh, as we do this, and we do it all for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Uh, so last week, uh, sorry, this week we're making a slight pause, I guess you might say, in our topic series, Who Am I? Uh, last week we spoke about I'm an individual, but I don't want to be alone. We're all created as unique individuals in God, but we don't want to be alone, we want to be in community. So we talked about being in community. God created us to be 
in community. We saw an Acts 2, the early church, and their devotion to that community that Jesus is building, and they are building with him together. The point of this devotion of the early church was that they saw the vitalness of this community as a source of God's grace in their life as they grew. They saw this as a vital community to be a part of in their lives. Uh, they knew this community that God, in that community, that God would meet their needs and provide sustaining grace for them to grow and to uh, be all they were designed to be by God. So they were devoted to it. We saw that last week. It was a high priority. It was absolutely important. We want to be part of this community because we know this is where God will grow us and this is what God has put together. Now, last week as I was um, gathering all my material for that and getting my thoughts together and putting all these things together, I got so much I couldn't put it all into one talk. But there was some really, really good stuff there. So I just felt led of the Holy Spirit again to further flesh this out, this idea of community of Jesus Christ commonly called the church, to explore this just a little bit more. So it's a slight pause where we are. We're sort of on the same spot, but at the same time, it obviously is very closely connected to who God is and who we are as we look at this passage again. And this time we'll look at it just to get some principles here. And these principles will actually help to answer some questions today about the community or the church. Now, if I say church or community, really they are interchangeable. It's the same thing as I'm referring to here. The community of believers or the church, it'll be the same thing. So the questions we're going to think about today as we look at this passage will be, uh, what is a church slash community and its primary function? Uh, What is it to to commit to or be part of a church community? How should I prepare to go and be with a church slash community? I'm going to look at those questions here and do this um, from uh, this passage and some other relating passages that we'll tie in together as uh, we think about that. So what is the church and uh, what is its primary function? That's a massive question, a really big question to start with off the top. That question alone probably takes quite a few talks if you would really want to unpack it carefully. But we're just going to look at some principles here, and particularly if we go back to Acts 2.42, that helps us to see what the church is. Look in there and you'll see right in that first verse, second word, the word they, depending on what translation you've got, the word they... Who is the they? You see that word they there. Short answer is they is the community of believers, the church, they. Paul actually shows that again for us in Colossians 4.15. Not so much the word they, but he actually gives us an idea what this is. And he says there, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Now we, we say often, I'll meet you at the church. Well, then talking about a building. But in this sense, when Paul's talking about the church, he's meaning the people and the people who are gathering in Nympha's house at that particular time. The Greek word for church literally means called out ones. Called out ones. People. We understand that to be the people that God has called out to salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through his life, death and resurrection. The church is the called out believers who are now becoming the dedicated disciples following Jesus Christ as their Lord. It's a community of believers. It's a community of called out people who are putting their trust in Christ and now living their life with him as their Lord. It's the community of disciples. And this falls right in with Jesus' great commission 
to his disciples, he says in Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples. Make disciples. Uh, teaching them, sorry, this next bit there, teaching them all that Jesus had taught them. Now this understanding then helps us to get one of the primary functions of the church or the community of believers. The church is the community of believers, people. And this primary function now we are starting to see is that we are called into, into forming communities or, or churches of disciples. Of disciples. You might even ask again, well, what is a disciple? What is a disciple? The word disciple means to be a learner or pupil. To be a learner or pupil is what a disciple means. You might have heard news reports. Sometimes you'll get um, some of those crazy crackpot cult leaders and they'll talk about and their group of disciples that follow after them. They'll, actually, they'll refer to it like that from time to time. And the whole idea is those people following that potentially crackpot crazy cult leader is they're learning to become like him. They're disciples, they're pupils, they're learners. So we can pull this idea together of a church being a community of people, called out ones, and a primary function then of the church because their disciples is teaching. They're pupils, they're learning, and it's the primary function of the church is teaching. Let's look at it again in uh, verse 42 of Acts 2. It says this, right at the top, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. As a disciple of Jesus, we've discovered who he is. God in the flesh sent to rescue us. So now we want to learn all about this God, Jesus, and to be transformed into his image. So that one of the primary functions here of the church is teaching. And there's many other things we could say about the church. And there's many other needs and functions it does do and carry out. But we want to just restrict ourselves today, thinking about here, this primary function of the church is about teaching. Because I believe good teaching which should actually help drive every other area or function of the church. If it comes from good teaching, good learning about Christ, it will actually help and infiltrate and drive every other aspect and function of the church. <clears throat> so a church is a called out place of believers where we go to learn about God. This then perhaps leads us to the next question, how do I know a good church? Or how do I choose a good church? Uh, Brianna and I, we worked through this earlier this year. My daughter was uh, shifting to uh, Queensland, to Brisbane. And we looked at it and we discussed what churches to go to. What are the things we need to look for? How do we actually find a good group of called out believers and actually associate and commit myself to that group of believers? Here's a few things that we thought about, which aren't the first thing to think about when looking for a church. First thing to think about when looking at a church isn't, isn't how cool it is, or how trendy it is, or how hip it is. When looking at a church, the first thing we don't think about is how good the coffee is there. You'd be surprised, some people, I'll only go there if there's good coffee. When looking for a church, the first thing we don't think about is how good is the music going to be there. When looking for a church, the first thing we don't think about 
is how good are the kids and youth programs going to be? Some people have a wish list or a tick list or whatever you might call it and some will say, oh, I found this church and it's ticked all the boxes. Totally going to say that's all right because you want to have some of those things and all, some of those things I just mentioned will influence you to where you may commit to but they shouldn't be the primary thing that you think about when choosing a church, when choosing a called out group of believers to connect with. Probably the primary thing that you and I must consider in joining a community of believers is, will I grow there as a disciple of Jesus Christ through the teaching of the Bible? Will the teaching at that church, where I'm going to learn as a disciple, will it grow me in Christ? That was some of the things that Brie and I did. We actually listened to a few sermons from some of those churches to get a feel of how do they do that? How do they grow their disciples? Now, let's just change gears there for just a second. Learning's not something that comes to us easily in Western culture in this day and age. We don't usually want to be learners. We probably actually would rather go and experience something rather than learn something. Western culture tends to build its, I guess, its idea of attraction by being attractive, by experiencing something other than learning something. It's all about the experience. It's all about the buzz. Will it give me a good feeling? Will it give me a bit of a pick-me-up? Now, we've only got to see that really well communicated in our advertising. If I say this about Toyota... You'll be able to say the last word. Oh, what a feeling. feeling. That's right, because that's what they want. They want us to feel something when we drive a Toyota car. They want to sell Toyota cars, and they want us to get this feeling. Now, feelings aren't wrong. Don't get me wrong there. But that's really what Western culture is really, really big on, is experience and feeling. Now, I believe a church should have a great vibe and a great atmosphere. So I'm not saying, hey, it's got to be sort of cold, sterile, you know, learning environment, like an academic sort of professor university type thing. It should have a great vibe. It should have a great atmosphere. A church should be real and should be true. And experiences really are real and true. If you think about life, a church should be an experience of both sadness and grief in a church. That should be there. A church also should have a, be a place of deep joy and they're all the range of our emotions and experiences in life because that's where we live life, isn't it? It is in those experiences and they do range from sadness and grief to joy and happiness. The major difference though here for a church is this, that our sadness and joy comes from a profound understanding of what we know. We experience it, but we actually have some understanding behind our sadness or behind our joy. We've learned that our sadness that we experience is the result of the brokenness of our lives. Because we've walked away from God, we reap the consequences of pain and suffering in every area of our life. We not only feel sad or painful or whatever, we actually understand why we are that way because we've learned about the brokenness in my own life and the brokenness in this world. Same goes for our joy or happiness, which often comes in the middle of our sadness. Yes, my life is broken and it's got all sorts of dramas, but Jesus came and called me out and took that brokenness upon himself at the cross so that I can be forgiven and transformed. 
And that then gives me joy because I know I've learned what Jesus has done in that, that I can be now transformed into his image and likeness. And today, if you're a visitor here and you don't know much about Jesus, we are really glad you're here. This would be the most important thing we would want to communicate to you. We welcome all people to exchange and we love visitors. We aren't at church today because we are good people. Not at all. Often people think that from the outside. Oh, they must be good people because they're sitting in a church today. No, we're not in church today because we're good people. We're sitting in church today because we've discovered that we are broken people who haven't got it all together, but we've met Jesus who is putting us back together again. So if you haven't met Jesus before, I'd love for you to come and ask me some more questions and we'll be glad to introduce you to Jesus Christ. So we are gathered in church for learning about God. This is the primary function of a church. And particularly when choosing a church, we need to understand this is what we want to find out. Will they truly preach God's word from the Bible? To grow us in Christ. Here at Exchange, we place a high importance on teaching the Bible. That's exactly what we're doing right now. Just like the apostles did 2,000 years ago, we do the same today. They said there before, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In a few weeks' time, actually at this particular time we're doing what we call a topical series, but in a few weeks' time we're going to start the second book of Corinthians. And we're going to go through the second book of Corinthians, chapter by chapter, passage by passage. We're going to go through every passage in the second book of Corinthians. It's going to be fantastic. We really are going to unpack what God's Word tells us through the book of Corinthians. So here's what Paul told Timothy about teaching the Bible. He says this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 14 to 17. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, complete, equipped for every good work. A church, a community of believers, called out ones that are gathered together as the disciples of Jesus Christ, a church that truly glorifies God, will be a church that will truly teach the Word of God, the Bible, the Gospel, so that disciples and learners will grow in grace and the knowledge of God. That's what a true church is, and its primary function is to grow people in Christ. And a good church will give you all of Scripture, which means this. Sometimes God's Word exposes our broken living through reproof and correction, as Paul was just telling Timothy there. Through reproof and correction. God God not only teaches us about himself in the Bible, which he does... He also teaches us about ourselves as well and revealing ourselves in who we are. Sometimes God will expose our brokenness and that's painful. Nobody likes to see their brokenness or be honest about their brokenness. God will convict us of our failings and our flaws. That's uncomfortable. It really is. God sometimes will really pinpoint in our lives and reveal to us problems like lust or jealousy. God will expose that in our lives. 
Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't expose that just to, as it were, rub our faces in it and say, hey, look how bad you are. The Holy Spirit will expose that to us and in us and through us so that we will seek his help to be forgiven and transformed by the truth we discover in Christ. Yes, sometimes God's word will wound us and it will as we read through that and the conviction comes upon us. But it always does that with the intention to heal us and restore us. Because the Bible also, just as, much, just as it might convict us, speaks the words of comfort and peace and hope and forgiveness and acceptance and love through the gospel as well. It's like a two-edged sword, you might say. Sure, it comes in and wounds us, bears us open, but it comes and heals us with that same truth. When Paul left the Ephesians, this is what he told them in the book of Acts in chapter 20. He says, Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul's saying basically the same thing there. I didn't hold back. I gave you everything of God. I gave you the difficult stuff and I gave you the easier stuff. I gave you the whole counsel because God knows exactly what we need and we need the whole counsel. Now, for me as a minister of the gospel, that makes me very accountable. Very accountable. Firstly, I'm responsible to God for what I teach. And secondly, I'm also responsible to you who listen. As I teach... And if I teach wrongly the uh, truth, or not truth, but if I teach wrongly things that are not truly built on the Bible, then God will hold me personally to account. What do you think you were doing telling these people stuff that was not in my word? And likewise, likewise, you who sit there today, you have every right to judge me as well. You have every right to judge me for what I'm saying. If I'm I'm preaching uh, what is not true, then you must pull me up. You must stop me and say, Todd, that is not in the Bible. What you're saying is not true. It's a responsible position. But if what I'm saying is true and does line up with the Bible, then you, as well as me, have an obligation to learn because we're disciples and obey because that's what we are when we call into God's kingdom. Disciples, to learn and to obey his word. Not because I say it, but ultimately because God says it in his word. That's what we must do. Let me just change gears here with this. Sometimes you might think, well, if we have all this learning and this sort of acquiring of knowledge and gaining all this information, won't we just become like walking encyclopedias? Won't we like to just sort of become these sponges that sort of soak up all this information and soak up all this knowledge? Or maybe we could be just one of those expanding hard drives of the computer that just can keep containing more and more information. Is that possibly the risk? No, not at all. What we learn is brought alive by God's Spirit so that our lives are changed, so that our lives are shaped by what we learn. It's not just meant to stay here It's meant to go there and then go right through us to change our very being, to change how we live. So, 
And to answer that question, we primarily choose a church that will teach us the gospel so that our lives will be transformed and shaped into the image of Jesus Christ. 